to the Clemson Podcast. Today is Wednesday, February 10th. Uh, my parents' wedding anniversary was a few days ago. Congrats to them on 29 years. Uh, Mom, if you're listening, this is your first official ever mass media shout-out. Congratulations on that, too. Um, Clemson has pulled in another top 10 recruiting class. The basketball team is having a, currently having an identity crisis about whether or not they're a tournament team. And Jim Harbaugh is in the process of setting up sleepovers over spring break with high school juniors across the state of Florida. So, Cody, it's been about a month now since the national championship game. Um, how have you taken the time to reflect and just kind of get over that loss? I still haven't watched the Alabama tape, and I can't. It's still heartbreaking. Um, What's been easy has been the recruiting, though. You just can't, you, you instantly shift your focus to recruiting. Obviously, we're doing really well there. Things are looking good for 2017. So that's that's how I've taken my mind off of it. But it after, you know, what has it been, a month now? Yeah, about a month. I, I will say, like, there's a greater appreciation for the year that we had, um, the, the coaching staff, the job that Brent Venables did, you know, Dabo Sweeney, just the whole year itself was, was just an unbelievable year. The best year of my life, um, in terms of being a Clemson fan. So anyway, not, not to glow too much. It was a great year. It's that, that national championship game still stings. Yeah, it does sting, but I think you're right. The thing that got me through it was, you know, I immediately reflected after we lost that game on what a great season we had and how that was the best season that I've ever seen in my lifetime. So that that's given me some comfort here in the past month. Although I will say I've I haven't I followed recruiting, but I haven't paid a lot of attention to recapping of the season. I actually finally brought myself today to go back and get some of the back issues of uh, Sports Illustrated uh, with Clemson on the cover just to round out my collection um, because I just haven't been able to bring myself to think about uh, the season that much. Although that said, uh, what a what a great season, uh, but now we're moving on to looking forward to, uh, to next season. Um, so before we get started here, uh, what we're going to talk about today is uh, we're back for the grueling off season. We'll be cutting back our schedule a little bit to, to a few times a month, plus some interviews. Um, so we'll work out the format, but you know we won't be coming at you two times a week like we have during the season, but we'll still try to bring you some great content to keep you occupied and, and hold you over until the football season begins next year. And that's going to include um, you know, stuff like recruiting, spring practice and football, and also Clemson basketball and Clemson baseball. Uh, one of those things, Clemson basketball, we'll talk about today. And we'll also talk a little bit about uh, 2017 recruiting, but especially, and this is what we can get into right now, the 2016 recruiting class. So here we are again, Clemson with another top 10 uh, recruiting class. You take the composite uh, from all the different services. We were 8th in ESPN, 10th in 247 Sports, 5th in Rivals, and 14th in Scout. Uh, Really just another great recruiting effort by this recruiting staff. And, I mean, Cody, uh, this coaching staff doesn't miss a beat. You know, we come off the national championship game to get right back to it. And there were some, some huge needs that we were missing, especially with a lot of guys uh, on the defense turning pro. And this recruiting staff was able to pull in some huge recruits at the last minute. Yeah, and you see what the Clemson brand has become at this point. And going in the last minute, snagging, uh, really, you know, an elite player in Trayvon Mullen and guys that are high three stars in Isaiah Simmons at safety and Kevon Wallace at cornerback. And that's just kind of the... 
kind of the pull that we have now for Clemson. And, and in terms, by the way, we, we interviewed, I interviewed Quacking Tiger a couple, uh, a week ago or so. We had a nice little breakdown on each position group. And Quacking Tiger is, he is the man when it comes to recruiting uh, across all of Clemson media. Um, so go, go check that out if you haven't already. But uh, looking at more like immediate needs and what this means for it from a depth chart standpoint, I think you look at the linebacker position and how we were so thin this year. Uh, Bulware and B.J. Goodson were playing almost every snap. Uh, so not only were they worn down by the end of the year, but we actually didn't get a chance to really develop any of the guys in the 2D. So we needed some guys, and it's very rare at the linebacker position for anybody, five-star, high four-star, whatever the case, to come in and make an immediate impact. You saw that with Stephon Anthony. You saw it with Tony Stewart. Because generally your linebackers, one of your linebackers is the quarterback of the defense. Right. It, it's a lot of – it's, and it's just different on a high school level because there's so much more to learn. The uh, pace of the game so much faster. You have to drop back in coverage. A lot of high school guys can't do that. The talent on the other side of the ball the is talent, better. Yeah, and, and a lot of it too. You're, you're just physically, man, you ain't re- you're not ready as a high school guy, 18-year-old, to get in there and, uh, and deliver the blows. But Trey Lamar uh, – Ranked actually lower than Rashawn Smith, who's our other big, you know, high-profile linebacker commit. In my mind, I watch his film. Uh, he's just he's got it. Like this guy is in my mind is going to be unbelievable. And he's a middle linebacker, a smart guy. He'll be a civil engineer major. I see him coming in and being an exception to the rule and making an impact. So, do these two guys, uh, Smith and Trey Lamar, coming in at the same time, kind of remind you back when we got Stephon Anthony and Tony Stewart in the same year? No, absolutely. I, and I wouldn't say they're, the skill sets align that much, but just to have these two high-profile five-star linebackers, uh, yeah, no, absolutely. I think the, where the coaching staff really hit the grand slam was getting two guys that have they, they don't have overlapping skill sets necessarily. Trey Lamar being more of that prototypical middle linebacker guy, he's going to clog the, plug the holes, uh, clog the running lanes, whereas uh, Rashawn Smith's a little bit more dynamic. He's going to be able to do some things in like 3-4, 4-3 type packages, uh, get after the passer. And um, anyway, when I look at the immediate need, though, I I really see Trey Lamar having that impact. Rashawn Smith, I see Venables using him and and making him um, a tool, an asset to the defense, whether he's at the the nickel uh, or the sand position or he's using him at the line of scrimmage rushing the passer. Uh, but I don't, I don't know. I wonder how fast he'll pick up uh, to everything. Because he only played linebacker, I think, for one or maybe two years in high school. So do we feel like we're in better position, though, coming into this year at the linebacker position than, let's say, last year? With Ben Boer returning, Corn Wiggins coming back off of injury, and then guys like Kendall Joseph, Dorian O'Daniel, who've, who've gotten some decent playing time, uh, being able to bolster that linebacker position where we won't need to rely as much um, – on these freshmen coming in, but at the same time, we'll have a little more, bit more depth than we had this previous season. Right, and I, I think collectively it is uh, you, you do have a better unit. However, what, what was so crazy, and I want to knock on wood, we had really, for the most part, really good injury luck, aside from Bulware's shoulder. Uh, to where what they brought to the table at uh, at least until the national championship <laughs> game. Oh yeah, until, uh, not, I'll just forget like that. Pretend like that didn't happen. So, but we had really good luck at, at the linebacker position, and and I say collectively, um, depth will will be better. Um, the two deep will be better. Talent getting Corn Wiggins back will be a huge upgrade. I'm I'm still interested to see if he plays safety. If he moves over, I know he'll certainly cross train there in, in the spring. But um, collectively, I, I I see it as a as an upgrade. Yeah. 
So let's continue talking about this uh, 2016 class a little bit. Um, aside from the guys we already mentioned, um, what are the major highlights and who are you most excited about? Yeah, this, you know, we talked about Dexter Lawrence uh, quite a bit. And to me, it doesn't, it doesn't get old because the guy is, uh, there's certain guys, and we think of five stars as, you know, these elite guys, but there's guys like JV on Clowney, um, you know, Leonard Fournette, uh, and the list goes on, Daquan Bowers for Clemson most recently in my mind that can impact every game and that opposing coordinators, offense or defense, will have to think in terms of how am I going to stop this one guy. And Clemson's going to potentially have two of those guys, and they're both playing the same position. Dexter Lawrence is that good, where you're not going to be able to run against us. Add Christian Wilkins to his left, and it's just going to be, it's going to be tough. It's all about matchups in college football. And that's something every single offensive coordinator is going to have to think and, and lose sleep at night when he's game planning against Clemson. And, and the good news in my mind is that it'll probably, he'll probably make that impact from day one. I don't see uh, there being much of a learning curve when he has the physical size and attributes that he already possesses as an 18-year-old kid. Yeah, I mean, he's the number two ranked recruit in the nation. Uh, so let's, you know, it makes it easy to get over the fact that we lost or, or Rashawn Gary uh, committed to Michigan. And speaking of Rashawn Gary, I don't want to spend a lot of time on a guy who's not coming to Clemson. I want to talk more about the guys who are. Um, we still got two of the top uh, on rivals, uh, two of the top six recruits in the nation and Dexter Lawrence and Rashawn Smith, who we talked about. To be honest with you, of number one, the, the signing day excitement was amazing. It was the first time in years, it seems like, that we actually had a lot of unknown guys committing to Clemson. To me, bigger than actually getting Rashawn Gary was actually getting Trayvon Mullen, considering our, our needs at DB. Yeah, and w I still question his ability to contribute right away. He looks a little bit stiff in the hips, which is, you know, you need that as a cornerback. But the guy's got a lead speed. He's going to make an impact at some point in his Clemson career, and... I think, you know, we definitely had a need there, um, especially after losing Mac early. We knew that was going to happen. But, uh, but, but I think it's not necessarily this coming year. I think we'll be okay. Mark Fields, Adrian Baker, I think, can give us a little bit of uh, something at the other cornerback position. But it's the year after. Once, uh, right. once uh, Tank moves on, uh, I, I would question if there'll be some attrition. We need some guys that are ready to play. And, and Mullen, yeah, like you said, huge, huge pickup who – he, uh, I'd like to see him, by the way, on punt return or kickoff return because the guy, he has Florida elite speed. And at the college level, even if you're not a great cornerback in terms of technique, sometimes elite speed can mask that. So I do see him making an impact somewhat early. Listen, on punt returns, I'll take anybody who can catch the ball and get us 10 yards going forward considering what we saw the last several years um, since I think Andre Ellington was returning punts. Um, so another guy that we got actually to commit on uh, – on signing day, two actually, two more DBs, Isaiah Simmons. Uh, hey, we got the two best players out of the state of Kansas between him and Xavier Kelly. Um, but then also Kevon Wallace. Um, he's listed as a wide receiver on Rivals, but I think we're gonna, he's going to be projected as a DB to play for Clemson. He's out of Highland Springs, Virginia. He's only a three-star, but I think it's, he shows better on tape than the recruiting rankings. Yeah, and, and QT and I talked about this, and a lot of that has to do with just uh, being a late bloomer. And... I, you talk about his film, I, I totally agree with you because I think, um, he, you know, maybe not elite speed, maybe not Trayvon Mullen type film, but dude's every bit of a four-star player in my, in my mind. And this was, a, this was a not just a, like a, you know, 
take anybody fallback option. He was a he was a guy that we really wanted to get that late in the process, and and being able to get him and Mullen and Simmons, uh, that just an outstanding close to the year. And and hey, every little bit matters in college football. We've seen what the lack of depth can do at defensive back, and how that could potentially leak over into special teams. And uh, we saw maybe a little bit at, uh, at defensive end. So having your depth chart loaded with elite talent and that competition that comes from that is, is a big part of being a national championship team. And I, I think we, again, set the building blocks in place with, with our secondary there. And sp- so speaking of those three guys that we pulled in on National Signing Day, we also got um, John Simpson, Simpson, the offensive lineman from uh, Fort Dorchester. Um, you know, most people have predicted that he would come to Clemson. So not a huge surprise there, but again, just another you know, shot in the arm for this recruiting staff to and what they were able to do kind of, you know, coming down the stretch um, and turning a quick corner after the national championship game, you know, kudos to them. You know, we didn't get Rashawn Gary, although a lot of rumor out there that we should have and that he was leaning our way. But, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll take that for what it's worth. And I, I personally think that we'll be just fine without him considering all the weapons that we already have coming back on offense we saw what we did last year after losing whatever nine or ten of eleven starters on defense, knowing that we have more of those guys coming back this year. We're, we're going to have depth, and we have a lot of great young guys coming in this year. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think where Rashawn Gary hurt us, uh, you know, the great thing is we were looking at him as like this one year, you know, pick up. You know, think of like baseball. You get this one year guy. Maybe it's last year of his contract, or you sign him on a one year deal. And you're, you're stoked about it. And that's kind of how we were thinking of Gary. Granted, he'll get three years. But the reason we, we really do have that need at, at probably strong at strong side defensive end where Kevin Dye just left, there's some concern there. And it's not that we don't have the talent. We indeed do have some talent uh, coming down the pike. It's just a matter of developing that talent. Are they there yet? There's question marks. Even Austin Bryant, we can't say he's going to be the next Shaq Lawson. Don't know that, don't know that he's there yet. Don't know that Richard Yergin is an every down defensive end. Um, Cleveland Farrell, by all accounts, is a really, really good prospect, but he hasn't played football in two years. Um, is he going to be ready? Uh, so, yeah, I agree with you. We'll be okay, but he did fill an instant need, a need that we that we have. Uh, probably maybe one of our biggest ones on the on the whole t- whole roster, the whole team. Well, I will say this about this coaching staff, and again, looking back to, to how we came in, what we were thinking coming into last year about what the defense would be and how they ended up, is that they're damn good at developing talent. So I'm going to trust in them going into the offseason with the guys, the talented guys that we do have on this roster. Some guys that did get good experience, Austin Bryant, namely, last year, and excited to see what they can do uh, with them next year. Um, so, you know, you mentioned this. You talked about, you know, Gary only being here three years. You know, we're entering this new era of Clemson football of a lot of guys are only staying three years. I wonder, how does that change the mindset and the the stress it puts on the recruiting staff, you're turning over guys, you know, a lot more guys over a three-year span than a four-year, four or five. Totally. I think it's, it's actually, it's just, you know, it's the hand you're dealt when you're competing for national championships and being part of the elite. And in cases like Shaq Lawson and Mac Alexander, it's a good thing. Uh, when cases like TJ Green, it, you kind of scratch your head and you're like, you know, but, but for the most part, guys are gonna guys are gonna play like NFL players and, and win you championships or get you to championships. It's just uh, it's just the price you pay. But um, but it is something now where it, it puts more of an emphasis on bringing in elite talent every year. And uh, and in the past, you know, we had we'd hit a few 
grand slams or a few home runs by hitting you know two high profile four stars. Well, now if you want to compete at that level consistently, it's plugging these four star, five star guys in every position group every year. Do you think the days are over of Dabo being able to convince guys like James Davis or C.J. Spiller to uh, not enter the draft after their third year and come back to, to finish out their four years at Clemson? That's a good question. I think I think it's more to do with the who else is in that guy's ear, less so than uh, Dabo's ability, because I think he's the best salesman there is, even for the current guys. So I think it's, in the case of like a TJ Green, I think some other people are in his ear. Uh, maybe a Jordan Leggett, he might be listening more to Dabo. Well, speaking of that, really glad that Jordan Leggett decided to come back. Uh, I, I think it's uh, more of, you know, back then when it was James Davis or CJ Spiller, it was just those guys, right? That's all that there there was, focus on the Clemson. Now there's just a handful of guys, so I think it's easier. You 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 feel like, um, you know, C.J. Spiller knew he was the man. Like, he was the guy. Everybody was committed to bringing him back. He, you know, he was the face of Clemson, and now there's many faces of Clemson because we have so many talented guys. So I do think it's a little bit different, but it's just interesting to see this evolution. But the moral of the story is, coming back down to it, I mean, this is the these are the characteristics of championship teams. No, absolutely, and I think it was interesting. Tavian Feaster, who is gonna is a five star talent. Granted, the guy got knocked down running back um, out of Spartanburg. He got knocked down in the recruiting rankings, but he is a five star talent. And he was told by the Clemson staff, "Come to Clemson, you'll be the centerpiece of this recruiting class," which is true. But at the end of the day, there's like like seven guys ranked above him in this recruiting class. So, and part of that, Stu, to be fair to him, he's had a torn labrum from two for two years that he's finally now having surgery on. Um, so I think that probably had a little bit to do with it, but you're right. Um, but on the offensive side of the ball, I, I would still think that, that he's kind of the star of this class. I mean, you can uh, talk about Zarek Cooper, who is going to be a, a damn good quarterback, uh, but I still think Feaster, uh, considering who, who we have kind of in the works after uh, Gallman leaves, um, after next year, um, Adam Choice shaping up, looking hopefully to be a good back, but I still say Tavion Feaster is the centerpiece um, from an offensive standpoint in this class. Yeah, no, I, I think I, I agree with that. And I still think he has unbelievable upside to where uh, we, we kind of think, hey, we have Gallman in the fold. We have some other guys. I, I, I expect some attrition. I expect some guys transferring. Um, and you'll probably, this could probably happen very soon. So I think that's going to be a big pickup. And it puts um, kind of an emphasis on 2017 and grab a couple more, or at least one more good running back. So to, to wrap up, I guess, uh, the, the actually the guys on the, in this recruiting class, who would you say, you know, we talked about the highlights, who we're most excited about, who are the instant impact guys, who's under the radar in this class? Yeah, so when I think of that question, like Xavier Kelly comes to mind, and he's a hundred top 150 guy, um, all the talent in the world. But in my mind, I feel like if this guy didn't come from Kansas, if he were a Georgia, a Florida product, I think he would be five star if he'd have gone on to all the camps and you know hung out with the recruiting services. I think this guy has five star level talent. Well, here's the other thing. So I lived in Lawrence, Kansas, and went to KU uh, for grad school. Lived in Lawrence, Kansas for three years. I saw some Kansas high school football on TV on some Friday nights, and it's a lot different than what you see in this in the what, South. What were you doing at high school football games in Kansas as a 28 year old? It, it was on TV. I was at my house drinking oh. beer before I went to the <laughs> okay. bars like a man. 
watching high school football. <laughs> um, so I'll tell you this. Thanks for clarifying. To get back to my point, is that it's a lot different. The guys, the kids that you're seeing on that field in high school football in Kansas are our size. They're about 5'10", 165, 75 pounds. Uh, a lot different than what you see uh, guys in the South going up against in talent. So you look at a guy like Xavier Kelly, uh, yeah, it's easy for a guy that's 6'4", 250 pounds to go up against these kids. So he, he has all the measurables and he looks good. He looks like a beast on the field, but look at what he's going up against. And I think that probably plays into it a little bit. Yeah, well, and I don't, I don't necessarily think that it's kind of like uh, recruiting experts trying to handicap this kid in a way, or um, I don't know if that's the right word, um, but trying to base his level performance and um, kind of the way they did against with Christian Wilkins when he was against subpar competition in Connecticut. It's like, how would this kid do against that like, real good competition? They can't, and they don't know, and that uncertainty is why they might not give the benefit of the doubt. And I, I could see that. However, the things that you can just see on film and what makes me optimistic is, A, dude is quick. His first step, you, I mean, the speed, I can see it on film. It doesn't matter if uh, there's a guy, uh, if the guy in front of him is 5'10 or not. The, the first, that first step is that first step. And then B, when he does hit people, he moves them. And yeah, again, he's hitting guys 5'10, 160, but man, they're, they're falling quick. So uh, those are the kind of things that I look at. Also, he's got a great motor, plays with a lot of aggression to the whistle. Um, I, I think, anyway, he's not necessarily a great pick for Sleeper because he's a four-star Highly talented, highly skilled guy. Maybe a, a couple other names, uh, if we're talking about sleepers, would, would be Tremaine Ingram, three-star offensive lineman, and Nouse Pinkney, who um, from Wales Branch, South Carolina, kind of went under the radar as a four-star. Dabo compared them to Grady Jarrett as a defensive tackle. I really like his film. I think he's going to need to develop, but I think in time, and he'll, he'll get time at the defensive tackle position. He'll, he'll, uh, he'll probably get a redshirt. But in time, I think he'll be a, a, a really good player for Clemson. And same with Tremaine Ankrum. The guy's got technique already, played at a good high school, um, comes from a good family. Uh, really, I really like the guy, too. He sounds like, seems like a really good person. So um, both of those guys, in my mind, uh, will, will be good players and sleepers in this class. So let me throw one other guy out there. Uh, linebacker Jamie Skalski. Dabo talked about this guy about – uh, his, I think his dad went to Oklahoma. Dabo talked about how Oklahoma hates us now for many different reasons, uh, and this being another one of them. Um, but not so much under the radar f- from a linebacker position when I talk about. This guy wants to kick off. He wants to win the kicking job. And you know what? I'm all for it. If he can boot it out the back of the end zone or when he does it, if he can put on some Ammon Lakeup type, hit, type hits, <laughs> bring it. <laughs> Yeah, no one's going to replace him at Lakeup as an <laughs> open-field tackler. Uh, um, anyway, or, you know, party lifestyle Ammon Lakeup. Anyway, so we'll, we'll edit that out. Um, so, yeah, so going back to Skowski, I asked Kawaking Tiger if, if he would burn a red shirt for Skowski to, uh, just, to be, just to be in that position. And we'll, we'll assume that the guy can kick it, you know, to the five-yard line or beyond. And, and what that would mean to that, that unit to have an extra player on the field. And I, he said, yeah, if he gets past like a 60, 70 threshold of snaps, that's a good, uh, as a contributor at the linebacker position, that would be a good way to determine that. And I say, hey, we know for a fact this next year we're playing for a national championship. We know from experience that not having a good kickoff unit can cost you a championship. So I say, absolutely, let's, 
let's burn that red shirt and uh, and get him on the team. Is assuming he can kick it, you know, to the fifteen yard line or went well, well past that. I mean, well, yeah. I mean, if he can kick it out the end zone, but I mean, we saw Hugel at least come on at the end of the season. You know, the beginning of the season before Lakeup came back, he was getting balls to like the five five yard line or something, five barely to the goal line. In the national championship game, he was booting the first few out the end zone. I think his leg got a little tired as the game went on. His kicks were a little bit shorter, but we did see improvement over you know over the course of the the year. So going into this offseason through spring practice, if he continues to improve to a point where he can boot the ball at the back of the end zone, there's no need to have an extra guy on the field because nobody's returning their ball. Right, right. I mean that's a that's a good point and. Um... I wonder, I don't know a lot about special teams. I think you're kind of our expert here. Um, I'm just the guy that worries about them. Yeah, and okay. it turns out that we all should be. <laughs> right. I think you're, yeah, you were, you're right the whole year. But I, I don't know if it takes away from focus on his field goals, uh, if you were to do that, play that role, um, and, and what that means if it hurts his form by having to do kickoffs versus field goals. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm all about Skowski, though. It, it just seems really cool to have an extra guy on the field, really, more or less. And Davo's right. It's a great football name, so we'll take it. Yeah. Um, so kind of wrapping up the 2016 uh, recruiting class here, I just want to take a look real quick. Uh, look at who Clemson's ranked with. Uh, you know, we, we have a top five class now for the second year in a row. Seven of the, of the top ten on rivals this year have won 11 of the last 16 national championships. Um, the last 14 national championships have been won by teams in the top 15. Clemson has been in the top 15 uh, in rivals recruiting rankings since 2011. So we are in very good company. And talking about how that sets us up well to become a national uh, championship contender, not just last year, but year in and year out moving forward, I think the numbers are showing that Clemson's doing really well. And think of what think of what it took to get us to the national championship this year. The 2015 recruiting class was ranked fourth. Um, how much of those guys had impact right away? I know Mitch Hyatt, obviously, but outside of that, um, you know, guys like Ray-Ray McLeod and Deion Kane, who wasn't in the national championship game, um, were really the only guys to have major impacts. So really, you look at the... And Wilkins. Uh, Christian Wilkins, yeah. yes. Forgot about him. Um, but then you look at the classes before that. 2014, we were ranked 13th. 2000, 2013, 14th. 2012, we were ranked 14th. And 2011, we were ranked 8th. So you look at those classes, and being kind of in the uh, you know average around like 12th or 13th, that brought us to a national championship game. Last two years, 2016, 2015, now we're ranked fifth and fourth. Like, there's, there's even better things on the horizon moving forward. It's a combination of great recruiting, really good coaching, and, and you know, improved facilities, and just the great you know, personality of the head coach that we have. Yeah, I, I agree on all points. And I'd look at player development. I think you, you touched on it a little bit earlier. Um, we, we have, uh, by the way, Larry, quick plug out to Larry Williams of Tiger Illustrated. Does great work, has a new book coming out. Um, but he, I've seen some excerpts from, from the book where he talks about the support staff that Dabo has. And my numbers might be wrong because I'm not looking at the article right now. But during Tommy Bowden's last days as a coach, I think he had uh, nine people total as his assistants, support staff, everyone. Dabo has 18 now. And, and one of those is, is Brad Scott who works – Exclu- you know, Jeff Scott's dad working exclusively with freshmen as they come in so they can make that adjustment into college, uh, and, you know, working with them as men through academics and all that stuff. And, man, 
I, I mean, I know it sounds like kind of a just a kind of a cushy type role, but how important do you think that is? I mean, how important would that have been for me to have that kind of person just to help me with school as an 18 year old? Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of a lot of things that go into that, but part of that is is development, and it's no it's no secret, man. Talent is what wins the championships. That's what makes these coaches look really good. Well, let's put it this way: talking about Tommy Bowden. Um, from 2005 to 2008, his recruiting classes averaged 15th in the country. Where did he take us? Good point. Yeah. Yeah. He was uh, fired in the middle of the 2008 season. That's when Dabo took over. From 2010 to 2014, Dabo's rec- recruiting classes averaged 14th, only one higher than Tommy Bowden's during that previous span of time. Look where Dabo has taken us with those classes. To a number one ranking for how many ever weeks in a row uh, this year to the national championship game to a game which we, we, we actually were better, looked better than Alabama and could have won minus two special teams plays. Yeah, I mean, look at it collectively, though. I think what you're saying, the bigger point is we've had top 10 finishes. Um, we, even though we might be ranking that 15, you know, 15th position uh, in, in previous years, we're coming in as top 10 teams and, and top 15 teams, so we're outperforming that. You know, overall ranking, the aggregate ranking. Now that we're doing a top at a top five recruiting level, what, and, and with the coaching and everything else going in our favor, it, yeah, no, well, absolutely. Well, that's what that proves to you is that fourteenth yeah. recruiting ranking during that span of time. And yet we're still one of the top, you know, ten teams in the country, um, and top two this year. That just goes to show you that's not just recruiting; it's the actual coaching itself too. That's the difference between now and the Tommy Bowden era. So. You know, don't put it all on the guys that are being brought in, you know, because, you know, Dabo has shown that he took those same kind of quality of guys and did better with them. So get really excited about the future. Again, we were ranked fifth this year, fourth last year. 2017 is shaping up to be a really great recruiting year as well. This is just the beginning of a very fantastic era of Clemson football. I, I, I still say enjoy every moment, enjoy, just like we did last year, because it could end really, really quickly. Like, you're never guaranteed uh, national championships. You're never, uh, you're never guaranteed a seat at that playoff table. So um, I, I like to think that we have the trajectory and the momentum to go into a golden age. But um, I, I still I take it one year at a time. So mentioning the 2017 recruiting class real quick, you know, we have uh, – there's going to be continued news coming out. There's going to be com- some commitments coming up. But just to touch base on it real quick, this is shaping up to be a really, really good class. The highlight so far is five-star uh, quarterback Hunter Johnson, who, for me, came out of nowhere. I mean, we already had Chase Bryce committed, four-star quarterback, who you know, has every opportunity to bump to a five-star this coming year. Hunter Johnson comes out of nowhere, so we're looking great there. And then a couple high-profile recruits, T. Higgins and Lee Anthony Williams, uh, announcements coming soon. So a lot to look forward to in the 2017 class. Yeah, the names, uh, I think you're going to see a few commitments. By the time this podcast is published, you'll, we'll might even have a few of these guys um, on, the, on the board. So now I, I think it's going to be a great class where we, where we were a little, little limited with quantity in this 2016 class. We're going to have both uh, quality, I think, and quantity. So um, I, I, it projects as a top five class potentially. Um, yeah, I, I think... I look at I think I, I see this class from you know the the early going is like having some really good players at uh, at wide receiver and and defensive back some of those skill player positions with with already three guys in the fold at offensive line and man that's like knowing what we what we went through for a decade with mediocre and sometimes even below average offensive lines like in in losing games because of it 
we're not taking a backseat to anyone, and that's what feels good about uh, some of the, the the recent goings with Clemson recruiting. That emphasis on the trenches, particularly offensive line. You know, you can say this about this Clemson coaching staff. They'll make mistakes. Um, you know, even from, you know, Dabo Swinney uh, being a young coach, you know, he'll make mistakes, but he doesn't often make mistakes twice. He learns from them. The whole recruiting in the trenches, that has improved. Special team stuff, you know, happened this year. I expect that to improve. Uh, so, again, this is, this, is, this is a different era of Clemson football. It's, it's not the success and kind of mediocre success and stagnant success we experienced under Tommy Bowden. I expect things only to improve from here on out. So now let's switch over to a Clemson athletics program that does not recruit as well, uh, Clemson basketball. Uh, since I think we last talked about this, Clemson had just come off a big five-game winning streak in the ACC, beat three top, uh, or three top 25 opponents in a row, two of those opponents being top 10 teams, um, but unfortunately gone 2-4 since then. Uh, we're now 14-10, and 7-5 in the ACC, came, coming off a loss to Notre Dame. Uh, we're middle of the pack, ranked in the ACC. Um, losses at number 13, Virginia, uh, at FSU, at Wake, or sorry, one at Wake. Loss of Virginia Tech, loss to Notre Dame, and then also then a win at Pitt. Uh, a little disappointing, considering how we started off in the ACC. Um, you know, it's funny. We came in, we came out of the non-conference schedule thinking that we were just dead in the water, having absolutely no shot at making the tournament. And then we lose the first game at North Carolina by a pretty close margin. And then this team pulls off, you know, runs off five games in a row. And then all of a sudden we're right in the thick of it with the hardest part of our schedule over. So we're at one point we were just giving up for this on the season. Now we fully expect to make the NCAA tournament. Now we go two and four uh, since then, and now things are looking kind of doom and gloom again. I would say at this point it would be a huge disappointment not to make the tournament considering what we did um, during that five-game win streak. Um, but you know, we'll see how the season plays out. At least these losses and even the ones on the road have been relatively close, and this team has battled, which has is, which is, uh, become a hallmark of a Brad Brennell team. We may not win, but he doesn't lose the team. These kids fight hard. Yeah, and uh, you know, watching uh, some of the games recently, getting more into it uh, than I have been uh, during football season, and it, it's definitely a different Clemson team. But it, defense is taking a step back, but they're still playing hard. Um, always a well coached team, and um, offense definitely an upgrade over where it was. It's it's definitely better. So it, it's kind of weird, you know, Brad Brumell's you know, his um, char characteristics of his teams are they are really uh, focused on defense and they're really good defensively. He are, are, always has a highly ranked defensive team. Uh, this year, though, we haven't won a game where we've scored less than uh, you know, 65 points or less. We don't beat teams this year by beating them 50 to 48. Like, we have to score over 65 points to win. You know, we did that against Notre Dame, and Notre Dame was just shooting lights out. You know, we hear there was some illness on the team. Um, so that had a lot to do with it. But this is a bit of a different team. And I wonder, we do have some better shooters. They're a little inconsistent. We do have better shooters this year. But also the reduction of the shot clock this year and the sped-up uh, pace of play. We talk about that coming into the season, if that would have an effect. And I would say it looks like it might have. 
Maybe it does. The one thing that I noticed that was really frustrating, and I know this is a staple of Brad Burnell teams, is not even attempting like a, a primary break where you're, it doesn't, you know, primary break being you don't have to go for a layup or, or push the ball, but some, sometimes things are there. They just open up and you get easy buckets. And, you know, North Carolina has won championships off of that model. Uh, why aren't we at least get, like some type of primary break? We have the, you know, the playmakers with Roper and Avery Holmes. And uh, of course, Blossom game is a, is a wing that can finish with anybody at the rim. Why aren't we at least making that initial push just to get some of those easy buckets? Well, I think a huge point in the turning point of the game against Notre Dame was when uh, uh, Dante Grantham had, he was on a fast break, and I think there was like two or three guys in the hole in front of him. And this has continued to frustrate me and I think a lot of Clemson fans all year is he doesn't have confidence going inside and going to the hole. And it was just awkward at that moment when he tried to drive on a fast break and just ended up getting a charge call. And going into that, you, you could tell it was going to happen. You know, he stepped up his outside game this year. He's shooting better. He's the second leading scorer on the team. But one area where he really needs to improve is getting inside and being more of an inside presence, especially uh, with the, the height and length that he has. You know, I think in this offseason that he needs to get into the weight room. He needs to put a little bit more strength on that frame. Otherwise, it, he... He's just going to be a, a Milton Jennings again, a guy that stays about the same size and continues to frustrate you. Yeah, he can hit some outside shots. He'll have some big games. Uh, but he's not going to be able to get inside and be physical. And, you know, it, it's part that and just part gaining some more confidence. I know he's a young guy. I know he's only a sophomore. But I'm pretty sure he started every game last year as a true freshman. And he started every game this year. So we're now reaching the, the midpoint of his career, and he's gotten a lot more experience than most sophomores have. So this is not a young guy anymore. He's pretty experienced. Sometimes you just don't have the killer instinct. I mean, look at um, your guy from Kansas, uh, Wiggins, or uh, Rudy Gay, you know, these professionals. Some guy, not every guy has it, and that, that could be the case with Grant. I mean, he's had plenty, like he's had plenty of time to play. Um, I, I also look at it, too, um, something that kind of stood out to me was Brad Brunel, as much as I love him on defense, everyone plays hard, and he's got a good, for the most part, a good um, scheme. Offensively, I don't see him putting putting uh, these guys in necessarily a great position, um, particularly Grantham and Blossom game. Um, to, I'm not going to say to be successful, but um, isolating these guys like Blossom game on the baseline, he is unbelievable. Uh, first step on the baseline, it's just hard to stop. Why aren't they getting him the ball, like running more sets in that type of formation? And the same with Grantham to get him closer to the basket um, as opposed to just sticking him in the corner and letting, allowing Avery Holmes and Roper to pass it around the perimeter. Well, all right, so I'll, I'll answer that in, in a couple different ways. First off, Clemson's offense, when it's really succeeding, they are passing the ball really well. And it's amazing how they can kind of switch that on and off to where they have some very lazy passing and passing without confidence uh, versus when they're actually getting the ball around the perimeter and then getting it inside. Uh, as far as Blossom game goes, uh, you know, teams are obviously really starting to key in on him. Uh, he is clearly the best player on the team. He's having a great season, could be first team all ACC. Um, you know, and he'll remind you a lot now of how KJ McDaniels came on and was just so phenomenal and carried the team, was a big part of how that team won 20-plus games that year. The difference is that Jerron Blossom game, he, he's not the same you know, kind of freak athlete that K.J. McDaniels was that could just drive to the hole in the sky over, you know, over everybody. Blossom he is a better shooter, an all-around game he's much better at, but guys, the opposing teams can't key on him, 
and start to limit him. Another issue is that trying to get the ball uh, into the post and getting into a rhythm with Landry Noko, and that's hard to do when Noko is not on the court. Uh, he's constantly in foul trouble, both him and City Jete, who has done a very good job of stepping in when Noko's been on the bench. But I don't know how many games I've turned into about you know, five minutes into the game, and Noko's on the bench with two fouls. It's Listen, kind of, yeah. uh, you know, Noko's averaging 50%, 56% field goals on the year, and, and Jete 58%. Uh, but they're averaging... Let's see, Noko 5.5, five and a half fouls per 40 minutes. City Jate is averaging 8.4 fouls per 40 minutes. I mean, when your big men are constantly in foul trouble like that, uh, not only does it limit your ability to get the ball into the post, but at the end of the game, like we saw against Notre Dame, we couldn't defend anything around the rim. Yeah, well, it's, it's both a, a great asset and it's a great liability because we do have, I mean, th- their shot blocking has, has been tremendous this year. I believe we lead the ACC in shot blocking. And Blossom has a lot to do with that, too. He's a good shot blocker. True. Yeah, he gives you almost like an added perimeter player, or, I'm sorry, added post player. But, yeah, I, I think it's it's kind of a give and take because you do get, it's it's nice to have that, but they just don't yet have the instincts to know how to uh, lure a guy in and not, and not um Break, break the plane and, and foul. Well, at least Jate, you know, the 8.4 fouls per 40 minutes is absolutely staggering. It's every time he jumps up for a rebound or a loose ball or something, he doesn't go up, he goes out and in to like a player. So that's something he'll need to develop on. But from what I've seen, his development between last year and this year, I have great confidence that he's going to be able to take another big step forward going into next year. Noko, on the other hand, I was really, um, you know, you know, high on him after his, I think, his transition between his freshman and sophomore year. But we've kind of seen a plateau, and I think a lot of that has be, uh, been because of all the foul trouble he's in. He only averages 22 minutes a game, less than half the game. And that's not to give him breaks or because we're splitting time with Jate because Jate's, you know, just as good. No, it's because he's in foul trouble all the time. When he's actually in the game and he's a factor, that's a huge benefit for, uh, to us to have him in there and be dominant. Unfortunately, that's not the case because he can't stay out of foul trouble. Listen, Blossom game, you know, he's going to score near 20 points every single game. But the only way for us to really win is that not just one guy, at least two other guys needs to, need to step up. Part of that is having a post presence in Noko Jete. The other is the guy, guys on the outside. Jordan Roper, he's, you know, he's a senior. He's been in the program for a while. He's been a lot more consistent with his scoring this year, uh, shooting right around 40% and 38% from three. That's big. You know, he's big, uh, big for the team. We talked about Grantham still developing, a little inconsistent on offense, though he's the second leading scorer on the team. Uh, like his defense, Avery Holmes, the transfer from San Francisco, he's been a little bit of a disappointment for me this year uh, because he was supposed to bring more offense than Rod Hall, which he has, but he's been pretty inconsistent in his shooting. He'll have you know games where he's on and he's scoring 15, 18 points, but then he also has games where he can't hit a shot to save his life. You're also giving up a lot of defense too with Avery Holmes and and Rod Hall was at least a guy you know at the end of the game who had the strength and the power, like he could drive to the basket uh, to try to go in for a game tying or game winning shot and be somewhat successful at it. We don't really trust Avery Holmes with that. Yeah, I think perimeter defense, uh, starting with what you missed from Rod Hall, uh, is is part of what's been uh, is a factor in the decline of the defense. Um, you're not getting a whole lot out of 
really other positions either. Um, I mean, it's not you – know, Jordan Roper's – Avery Holmes is kind of short. You don't get that great length. Um, thought on Boston game after really watching him a good bit, and I was concerned about him going to the NBA, and I think he has the potential to be a really good college player. Um, I don't see him – his skill set translating. And this is me being – whatever critical Clemson fan whatever but I don't see his skill set translating into the NBA right now um he's gotten better with his shot but it's not very pretty (laughs) and that matters to NBA scouts the release isn't doesn't look good can he make those longer corner threes in the NBA and then also I don't see him as a great having a lot of ball skills he I know he came as like a power forward he kind of looks like a power forward that's learning how to be a a wing and I think he needs another year. That's you know. So taking a positive out of this, I think he needs another year to develop. And, well, and hopefully he and learns come back. from KJ McDaniel's what 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 he did in leaving early. Um, but I will point this out that uh, Blossom Game has the highest three point shooting percentage on the team. Well, what is it? It's like forty four percent. That's pretty good from three. Uh, that's solid. That's good. Well, the line's a little bit longer in the NBA, and uh, you need to be able to dribble. You need to have some guard skills as a six foot seven dude in the NBA. That's a good point, but he could end up doing, you know, having a decent career in the NBA like Trevor Booker has, being that type of player. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, it's true. He's always, he, at that size and his athleticism, if he can just be a good teammate, he'll always make it into uh, someone's, you know, 12-man roster. But if, if you end up being, if you're a first-team all-ACC player, you've got a shot. I'm not saying he'll make it, but you got a shot. There's a whole long list of people that would say otherwise, but... Um, but no, and I, I agree. I think I think just his frame. He's got the athleticism. Yeah, a bunch of overrated Duke players. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> the Greg Paulus's of the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. What happened to that guy? Nolan Smith. Um, so no, but I just taking some good out of this, out of me saying he's not quite NBA ready, is he needs to come back because those are things you can't work on. I'm not saying. Oh, well, we need him back. You need him back, and next year could be a, you know really potentially a really good year. Yeah, no, I think so. So let's talk real quick about uh, the NCAA tournament and what's it going to take to uh, get there. You know, normally our ACC uh, uh, one-loss record right now and then the fact of who we beat would put us in really good position moving forward. But with our poor out-of-conference play um, and not winning, if we don't win a game in the ACC tourney, uh, I won't feel comfortable if we don't finish in the top six of the ACC. Like, I just don't think we have shots. Now, what will it take to get there? I, again, I mentioned, I think at this point, considering that five-game win streak, I think it will be a disappointment if we don't make it. Um, win one or two ACC turning games, no matter what happens, uh, you know, I, I've, and we finish in the top seven, I feel a lot better. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, the, the hard part of the ACC schedule is over. Um, and even the last couple of games haven't been the, the upper echelon of the ACC. Notre Dame was a tough game, and we played them tough. Again, there were some illnesses on the team. We don't know how much that played a part in it, and you know Notre Dame was just shooting lights out. But moving forward, what does it take to get us in? Obviously, if we go six and over the last six or five and one, I think we're obviously in no matter what we do in the ACC tournament. So let's get down to something uh, more realistic. Well, even five and one puts us at 19 and 11, 12 and six in the ACC. I, I find it very hard to believe at five and one, uh, or sorry, that 12 and six in the ACC that we don't get in. Um, if, if there's a win over Virginia in there, then we're definitely in. Um, so now let's look ahead to probably more likely scenarios. Let's say we go 4-2 and two over our last six games. That puts us at 8-12, and 12, 
and 11-7 and in the ACC, which is a very good conference record. I still think the two scenarios that play out here is that we either need to beat Virginia and possibly one game in the ACC tourney, or if we don't beat Virginia, we need to win two games in the ACC tourney. And the reason I say that about beating Virginia is because everybody else on the schedule, we start playing the NC States, the Georgia Techs, the Boston College, the bottom teams of the ACC, which is in part good because, listen, from what we've seen from this team this year, every game on the rest of the schedule is winnable. But you're always going to have your letdowns, especially games on the road, so you can factor in like a weird loss at like you know Georgia Tech or hopefully not Boston College, but we'll see what happens. Um, the last scenario, and I think this is the the only uh, you know, the last scenario where I see us actually being able to make it in is if we go with three and three over our last six, which puts us at seventeen and thirteen or ten and eight in the ACC. The only reason that gives us a chance of being in is that 10-8 and 8 conference record, but I still think we need to win at least two ACC tourney games. That will put us at 19-13, and 13, but possibly three. Depends on how you look at it um, or, and who we're playing in those scenarios. Um, so I, I think that's what we have laid out in front of us. Anything you know worse than 3-3, three and three, if we go 2-4, and four, it doesn't matter what we do. We'd have to win the ACC tournament to get in which that's not going to happen. Uh, personally, I see us going 4-2 and two over our last six, um, and I, I see us winning maybe one game in the ACC tourney. Unfortunately, I think that keeps us out. Well, I mean, the ACC, there's like 30 teams now uh, in the ACC, so I, I, I'm kidding, but I think there's a good chance they could win two, team, uh, two games in the tournament because the first game is going to be against a bottom dweller, and... Uh, very probably competitive second game. Well, and the thing that does help us out is that Louisville, um, a good team this year, has excluded themselves from postseason play, which opens up another uh, two-day bye in the ACC tournament. So if we can slip into that position, I think going 4-2 and two allows us to get in there. And if we do go 4-2, and two, and we get those two-game, uh, the, the, the byes on the first two days, that at least means the, teams we, we, the team we play in the tourney is probably pretty decent. That's true. That's, that's a good point. And so I... Cool. I, I Four and two is, I know what you're saying. You're budgeting a loss for like a Georgia Tech or NC State stumble, but it is, we should be five and one. If and, and you know, I don't necessarily think that's the case. I agree with you, but should be five and one down that stretch. Maybe the only loss being to Virginia at home. Well, we also should have you know, beaten Virginia Tech on the road. Um, no, and even FSU playing better, like we had a chance to beat them. So we'll just we'll just have to see what happens. I think we go four and two. I think it's very possible we go five and one. I don't see us going 6-0. and That would be amazing. Um, I, we have a chance. We still have a chance to get in, and I think your hopes should, should still be high on this team. Like, if, if all things start clicking, I think we have a, a great possibility of getting in, although I can also see us not getting in. NIT at worst, I would be excited to see what this team could do in some sort of postseason play. It looks like everything's leading up to, to next year as, as potentially you know one of the better years in, in recent history, recent memory. And Brad uh, Brownell's tenure as long as Blossom Gaines stays. True, yeah. So, yeah, like, let's get to the NIT, and that, that, that's good experience leading into hopefully getting some momentum going into what should be the better year. Let's get an attorney, baby, and the playing <laughs> game doesn't count. Playing game doesn't count anymore. We it, got that win before. It doesn't count. Um, okay, so that wraps it up for basketball. It's, it, you, know, you know, again... Going into the national championship game uh, or into the college football playoff, we thought football was all we had to live for, especially with the, how the uh, team played in out of conference. 
consider them dead in the water. And then they ran off five games in a row, and hey, now we're back in it. So. And then Dexter Lawrence came along and, and stole my heart, so <laughs> I started thinking about recruiting again. Anyway, go Don't ahead. Know what that has to do with anything, because he's been around for a while. <laughs> but we'll move on. Uh, okay, let's do some quick takes here real quick. There's a, We mentioned this kind of in the beginning about Jim Harbaugh. Some news coming out about Michigan, uh, you know, trying to hold practice in Florida over spring break, obviously to, to help out with their recruiting. Cody, what do you think about this? Should they be allowed to do this? Yeah, until someone can present a good reason to me why they should not be able to do this, then I, I, I mean, I don't like it. I don't like it either because that's recruits that come from Florida. But without your bias of knowing that, hey, that he's going to still recruits from my, you know, my fertile land of talent, which is Florida, that hotbed of, of, uh, of talent. I, I don't see why, I don't see why not. I, I know, I know what, what his intentions are and, but I, I equally see, uh, the intentions of the SEC. They don't want him cherry picking players. Okay. Well, it's not just the SEC because Clemson and Florida state get a lot of talent from the state of Florida as well. I'll give you one reason why I think it's, uh, it shouldn't be allowed. And I'll give you two reasons why I don't care. Uh, one reason, uh, the reason I think it shouldn't be allowed is because this, this is these kids' spring break, okay? They're out of school. They should be out of football, too. You shouldn't commit them to more football. Give these kids some time to relax. You can say you're taking them down to Florida. You're going to take them to the beach, but they're going to be under the supervision of their coaches still. Let the kids be kids. It's, you know, let the young men grow up. Let them have their free time. Let them have their fun. It doesn't all have to be about football. Um, you know, you, you're not paying them you know, for everything else. So why take away their vacation time, so to speak, uh, that they have naturally built in to their, their college careers? So now the two reasons... Are, are, you that, are you that concerned about the players, what they do in their free time, going down to, like, Florida? Guys that live in Michigan year-round? Like, no, I think they should be given a week off. I, I, that's I think one, but, are you, but is that your concern, though, is my question. Are you, are you really concerned about their well-being, their vacation time as college athletes? Yeah, you don't want to burn them Michigan? out. Yeah, I think, going to Florida? Yeah, but then always under the watch. You, gotta let, you can't always watch them. you got to let kids be kids and let them grow up on their own. Give them some free time. They don't need to have football involved in every aspect of their life. So, now, that is the reason why I don't think it should be allowed to happen. Now, let me tell you the two reasons why I don't care. Uh, one is because, does any kid from Florida, after he visits Michigan in the winter, does he, is he really going to want to go there? It's one thing for Rashawn Gary, um, being from, where was he from? Jersey. Yeah, Jersey. He was used to winters, going up to Michigan, be like, okay, yeah, there's cold and there's snow on the ground. I'm used to that. Guys from Florida, it doesn't snow in Florida. You know, they might get enamored by Michigan or Jim Harbaugh from being down there over a spring break. But once they go visit Michigan in the winter, they're going to change their minds. Number two, uh, this is all fine and good. But once Jim Harbaugh keeps dragging all these uh, freshmen through seniors, these four classes of players he already has on the team down to Florida over their spring break to impress some possible future recruits that probably aren't going to go there, he's going to wear out his welcome just like he has at every other place he's coached at. So again, not too worried. Okay, so a they both them and Ohio State have had success coming into Georgia and Florida already. So yeah, they that does have an impact. So you're you're wrong there, but also um, it's a vacation, man. There it's it's a glorified practice. It's it's vacation for the players. It's recruiting for the coaches, and I, I'm I'm just wondering on like very on a basic level. Fundamentally, what is, what is wrong with, uh, from a recruiting standpoint with them coming down 
and and having practice there. Like what like what's ethically, morally wrong about it? And that's what. And, and the reason I ask is because the SEC is pu- is obviously pushing the NCAA to make it to where they can't come down and have that practice. And I and I I get it because I'm a Clemson fan. I don't want people coming in my you know on my porch. But what's wrong with it? Grow your own talent. <laughs> up in Michigan, yeah, we don't want to go up there to get kids. That's unfair. <laughs> yeah, we know why. Yeah, you can't, we don't. We don't set up our our camps we in Michigan. We in don't set up our basketball camps up in Chicago, do we? That's actually that's there's a good an point. idea. There's a fair trade. I'll take that. Give me Dabo in football with Jim Harbaugh coming down. Whatever. Brad Brownell can go up to Chicago and actually, you know, get us get us some uh, you know solid basketball players out of these hotbed recruiting regions for college basketball. <laughs> Fair trade. I'll take it. Um, so one last thing here. Uh, the NCAA, this is hadn't been talked about a lot. They deregulated the conference title games. You don't need 12 anymore as long as uh, conference play is round robin. Do you think the Big 12, 12 adds a conference championship game in light of this? I, I Maybe. Not next year, but possibly. I think they'd like to. Listen, Stanford came close to taking their spot in the college football playoff. The second year, they would have been left out. So I think it's something they seriously need to consider. Um, but I think you're right. I don't think it happens next year. I think it's going to take uh, at least one more time of them being left out for some reason like this, of some argument of them not having a championship game for that to happen. But ultimately, I think they need to go to that. I think the Big 12 needs to be concerned about the trenches first and foremost. Good point. Go ahead. Okay, to wrap things up here, this is a new segment we're throwing into the podcast. We'll see how you guys like it. Um, it's called What We Learned from the TigerNet Message Boards over the past week. Um, if you're a frequent visitor to TigerNet, uh, you'll know that their message boards are part informative, part humorous, part make you feel like you're in the eighth grade again. Um, so we'll kick it off here. If you go there a lot, you'll know Tiger Woods, a frequent contributor to the message board, is you know, very knowledgeable about recruiting. He's pretty much always spot on with his predictions and the information he gives. What we learned with the whole Rashawn Gary incident, that Tiger Woods is actually human. He was wrong on that account. My question, though, coming out of that, is Tiger Woods actually QT from Shaking to Southland? I think he is. It's confirmed, yes. All right. My source is Tiger Woods. (laughs) So, um... Our uh, unsolicited opinion is that, yes, indeed, that QT is actually Tiger Woods. Uh, We've also confirmed (laughs) a certain STS writer is also a TNET poster. We'll let you guys go on uh, the message boards and then back on to STS, read some articles and figure out who that is. We won't call him out, but he's on there. Um, And then finally, uh, from uh, Mr. David Hood, a really good Clemson reporter, um, and also has a sense of humor. Uh, great post turns out revealing breaking news from David Hood that CC, or sorry, CCU Tiger Bob is a creeper, and my fave Orange is having marital issues, and somehow Jim Harbaugh and Netflix are to blame. So that's what we learned on the TigerNet message boards over the past couple weeks. We'll keep you know diving in, we'll following those day to day, and see what other golden nuggets we can come up with to pass along to all our listeners here. Um, and that's all we got for today. So thank you guys for listening. Again, as always, we want to thank the guys over at Shaken Southland um, for you know uh, partnering with us and bring helping bring our content to you. So thanks again, guys, for listening to the podcast. And go Tigers! <laughs>